Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today my guest is Stephanie Raffalock. Stephanie is the host of her own podcast called Coffee Table Wisdom, where she discusses positive aging. And she wrote a cute, inspirational book called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. And I'm looking forward to talking with her because we can all use a little inspiration these days. And I want you to know that we're recording this in April of 2020, which is when the COVID-19 virus is still active in the USA. As you know, I normally batch all of my episodes, so I'm not exactly sure when this will be released, but please keep in mind when this was recorded, because we might discuss some things that might make more sense to you with that background. But before we start, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by NordVPN. In today's world, we not only have to worry about getting a virus when we go outside, but we also have to worry about the safety of our personal information. I use my computer a lot. I'm on Wi-Fi a lot. When I'm at home, I don't particularly like my internet provider spying on me. And someday, when I get to go out and about again, I like to use public Wi-Fi without having to worry about someone hacking into my personal information. Now, I've been using NordVPN for years, well before I became an affiliate for them. As I record this, you can get a whopping 70% off with plans starting as little as $3.49 per month. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash VPN. That's V for virtual, P for private, and N for network. You'll be supporting the show and getting a valuable service that can save you plenty now and in the future. Okay, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and bring on Stephanie Raffalock. Stephanie, welcome to the Rock Your Retirement Show. Oh, hi. I'm really excited to be here with you today. 
Me too. I read your book and it's super cute. How did you, how did you come up with that? It was a happy accident. Um, I'd love to say that I, I planned the whole thing out, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, I was writing for a website called 60andme.com. And I'm very familiar with that website. It's a, it's a wonderful website. And what surprised me about writing for them was I got this tremendous amount of feedback from women all around the world that they too were experiencing this kind of shift in their lives as they were entering into their 60s, 70s, 80 years old. I began to see that there were really two ways to navigate these waters. And one was by embracing the years and embracing the strength and the courage and the nobility that come with growing older. And the other way was simply to say, aging sucks and I don't like it and I'm going to fight it for as long as possible. I'm seeing that where I live. Yeah. So I collected and compiled many of the essays that I wrote for them, articles that I wrote for other publications, and then some stuff that I created to put into this book. And I said to my editor at the time, I said, really, what I want is, a, you know, just a delightful little book on aging. <laughs> and that's how the title <laughs> stuck. So it's not a how-to book. It's not a self-help book. It's a book of personal essays a personal experience of navigating the waters against a backdrop of grief, reclamation, vision, and laughter. You know, I read the book and I would say that this is a book that might make a great gift. It might inspire you when you're feeling a little bit down. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And it's, by the way, it's where the name Coffee Table Wisdom comes from. I lamented to my husband one day that I said, this is a, you know, this is a um, slim volume of essays. You know, maybe it's not like a real book. And he said, oh, stop that. He said, this is the kind of book that people leave on their coffee table. This is like coffee table wisdom. <laughs> so thus the name coffee table wisdom. Oh, so your husband helped you name it. That's great. I love yeah. it. So why don't you tell us to get this started? Tell us about the monkey bar incident. Oh, <laughs> I think we've all had a monkey bar incident. My husband had clients in town and we lived near a lake and we decided to walk around the lake. And all around this lake, they have little um, like exercise or play areas. So one area might have uh, swings and then you walk a little bit further and there are jungle gyms. And then there's this one place with the monkey bars. Now I remember the monkey bars from when I was little and it was like my favorite thing on the school playground was swinging from bar to bar. And I don't know what got into me that day, but I crawled up the ladder. I put my hand on the first rung. I swung, I swung to reach the other bar. And then I fell on my ass. <laughs> And my husband rushed over and our friends watched over, rushed over and I was all embarrassed. And my husband said, what were you trying to do? Well, what I was trying to do was I was trying to be young. I know. And it was this moment of realization that my muscle tone, my connective tissue was not the same and was not going to be the same. Now, I'm a fit woman. I exercise every day. But that athletic prowess of one's 30s, 40s, 50s even, it ceases to be. And unless you're one of those really special women like um, work out with Joan, who you see on Instagram sometimes, mm -hmm. train with Joan, that's her, that's her handle. 
Um, and she's doing like heavy weightlifting at the age of 74 and she's really good at it. But this woman trains five days a week. I train that hard five days a week. I just, I want to be fit and healthy. So there are things that fall away from us. It's one of the little losses. That's why I say aging takes place against a backdrop of grief. And it's the little losses and then the larger losses. However, it does put us in a unique kind of situation to live in these times, a time of coronavirus where there's, we are all living against a backdrop of grief. As an older person, I know what it is to feel vulnerable. Now the whole playing field has been level. So the society is feeling vulnerable. And I know how to navigate vulnerability. You, you embrace it. You realize you don't have control over everything. And you also realize that grief is a bridge. It's not like an end result. It's not a place to get stuck. It's a bridge into the something new. And I think that that's where we are now culturally. We're dealing with the ongoing losses and the grief of all of this. And we're also building a bridge to what that next thing will be, which in my heart is a lot of optimism and potential and possibility. Well, I love that. I mean, I, I do, you know, I feel the same way that you do as well, as far as having to go through that grief so you can get to the next, the next step, the next uh, phase. You, you told a story about your parakeet when you were a little girl and listeners, I'm going to let you you know, buy the book so that you can hear all of the stories. But basically, her parakeet died, and you know, your you you felt the the loss of that. I am wondering what you feel about or what you think about the parents these days that don't let their children grow go through any grief. I'm thinking that some of these younger people are probably dealing with this whole coronavirus thing. A lot. It's. I think it's harder on them not to be able to. They're they're grieving the loss of of their being able to see their friends. You know, well, and a lot of them. You know, in my neighborhood, the kids that aren't going to be able to walk across stage to, uh, you know, to experience graduation with their friends, or there's no prom. I, that's hard stuff when you're 17. In the grand scheme of things, you go, well, it, it is what it is. But at 17, that's a tough one. So in answer to your question, I don't have a lot of experience with parenting or grandparenting because I never had kids, but I have lots of nieces and nephews. And I know that even in my family, the idea of allowing oneself to feel deeply and to cry is something that's not on the surface. That's something you do in private, you know, or, or as my mother used to say, don't air your dirty laundry. And I think it's a real shame that we don't have a container for grief in our culture where people can cry about what's going on because in the tears is this great soul bath. It's this great releasing of those things so that you don't have to carry the weight of the burden of sorrow with you. The way to unburden yourself is to let yourself cry and then you get to move on. That's part of the bridge. You're not meant to get stuck there, but if you don't pay homage to the tears that want to come out, you do get stuck there. I think you're right. When I was in my 20s, you know, I'm not much of a crier. I don't, I don't really cry that often, probably don't cry enough. And I remember that when I was in my 20s, every now and then, 
I would just start crying for no reason. Like nothing had happened. I would be alone in my room and I would just start bawling. And there was such a catharsis after that. It probably didn't happen a lot, maybe three or four, maybe five times in my 20s. And I just thought of it. I hadn't thought about that in years until you just said that. What an amazing release. I mean, it it could be hormonal. It could be that just there was something natural for those tears to come out. Sometimes I, th- I think that, you know, we think the tears have to be attached to something. Otherwise, it's, you know, a little crazy making. But they don't have to be attached to something. You know, the undercurrent of grief that's in our culture right now you can say, well, it's coronavirus or it's this or it's that, but it's like, it's palpable. And I don't think that we need to, to be specific in order to cry and experience that relief. Because like you said, there's a catharsis. The release allows you to move forward. And the idea in this is to move forward. That's where the goodies are. That's true. Yeah. I I think that I am probably grieving the loss of our current society as we know it. I think that this coronavirus is going to change our society. I don't know how, but it is going to change it somehow. I think we're living in a 9-11 kind of moment. Yeah, 9-11 changed our society forever. I mean, these young kids will never know what it was like to be able to give somebody your plane ticket and they could use it. (laughs) They'll, they'll never know what it's like to be able to just walk on a plane and never show your ID to anybody. Um, Yeah, so I I don't know how this is going to change the world. I hope it eliminates handshaking. I've never been a big fan of um, shaking hands. You know, I, I don't know where I read this, or someone told me that the beginnings of handshaking was so that you could show that you weren't carrying a weapon in your hand. I think we're beyond that. <laughs> I think we're beyond that too. <laughs> so well, I like the, um, the, the sort of the Asian, you know, placing the palms together and a little bow. There's a, there's a kind of reverence in that. It, it says, hello, I respect you. Yes. I hope that, that we move to something like that. I, I don't, yes. I don't know if it will happen. I'm, I'm hoping it will. I know that, um, a couple of years ago, when there was a big flu epidem- uh, epidemic where I lived in San Diego at the time, our church stopped shaking hands during that epidemic. But when the epidemic was over, they went back to shaking hands. <laughs> so I don't know if my wish is going to be granted here. We'll see. Yeah. So one of the things that you talked about was gratitude. And you can tell in talking with you that you you do sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, experience gratitude. For those of us who don't keep a gratitude journal, we, we don't necessarily dwell on the things that we're grateful for. How do we, I know that your book is not a how-to book, but how do you start that process? How do you, you know, I, I did that a few years ago where... I would start with A and I would try to think of all the things I was grateful for that started with A and then I started with B, you know, but I would run out, I I literally would run out of things. So how did you start? Think way back when you started this process. I don't know if it was. I know exactly when I started. Um, 
I had a friend in Arizona, um, an Indian woman, a woman from India, and she told me about her mother. And she said, my mother never gets out of bed without saying thank you before her feet even hit the floor. And something about that, the idea that you would say thank you before your feet even hit the floor in the morning captured me. It captured my imagination. So I began to experiment with that. What was it like to say thank you when you woke up first thing in the morning? And what was it like to say thank you throughout the day? There's a lot of different ways to do that. Uh, one of the ways I've learned over in recent years is to just sit for a few minutes with my eyes closed and just breathe in the words, thank you, inhale, thank you, and exhale, thank you. It doesn't have to be attached to something. I like to say thank you a lot when I cook. Your kitchen is a great place to say thank you. <laughs> if you can open the refrigerator and there's food in there for the day, you have a lot to be grateful for. That's not true all over the world. Um, if it's raining outside and you have a roof over your head, you have a lot to be grateful for. Thank you. It's just a matter of noticing it, of sort of claiming it. Um, my husband and I sit on the front porch a lot and we talk about how thankful for we are to live in the neighborhood in which we live. We're surrounded by a lot of diversity. There are a lot of different skin colors, a lot of different accents, a lot of different ages. And we get to see all of it from our front porch. And I feel so grateful for that, that my worldview is so big that I get to live in the midst of all these different kinds of people. And we're all kind to each other. So I think that gratitude is a practice. It's a learned practice. Gratitude doesn't have a muse other than you. You're it. You're the one that has to evoke it and call upon it. And like I said, you can just say thank you. It doesn't have to be thank you for the apple or thank you for the bear <laughs> going <laughs> through the alphabet. Uh, it can just be thank you. Mm, and we do have so much to be thankful for. You know, uh, yeah. a lot of us are going a little stir crazy because of what we're calling lockdown. But what we're calling lockdown is nothing what the rest of the world is going through. You know, I have a um, I have a team member who helps me with my website and, you know, non-client things. And he's on true lockdown. He has to have a pass in order to leave his house. Wow. And I don't know how he does it because I know he has a dog. And, you know, I was thinking, I was talking with my husband, what if... They release the lockdown, which is currently what they're talking about doing. Mm -hmm. And then the virus goes crazy again. And then we're all put in true lockdown. What would happen? How would I walk, you know, how would I get my dogs to go? I mean, we, I'm, I would hope that we could go in our yard, but what would we do if we were on true lockdown? Like some of these places are in the rest of the, uh, in the rest of the world. And Honestly, I don't know, you know, and well, so we do have a lot to be grateful for here. We do. And, you know, the question that you pose is kind of like it, it brings me to this sense of this is sort of a Darwinian moment. This is a moment for us to uh, reinvent ourselves. We're going to have to reinvent ourselves because we're not going to go back to the way that things were. 
the world is going to be forever changed, just like it was when you were talking about after 9-11. The world changed. We don't quite know what that looks like yet, but we do have this call, this kind of psychic universal call to reinvent ourselves during this time, to better adapt, to be kinder, to be more grateful, to um, maybe not be as clueless. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? About yes. Feelings of the people around us, about the circumstance of feelings, uh, uh, the circumstance of people around us. Maybe we could become a little less clueless. So, I mean, there's some great potential in this. And I do believe that the virus is uh, has an intentionality. And the intentionality right now is to, you know, get out there and infect. And that's what we're confronting is the intentionality of the virus with our own intentionality. So how to best battle that. And some of it is absolute science. And some of it is what we do with our hearts and our minds and our prayers. I love that. You know, we just released the time of, of this recording. Uh, the, the episode that released this week was the blessings of COVID-19. And I basically asked my friends, people on different Facebook groups that I'm part of, my own Facebook group, you know, what their blessings were. And I have to tell you, creating that episode, even though it probably wasn't the best listener kind of episode, I was thinking about it, I'm like, I could have made that better because basically I just listed it. You know, I could have talked about each item that was discussed. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. And it's already been released. And I, I can't really do anything about that. But creating that episode lifted my spirits. It's amazing how when you are talking about, you know, basically the gratitude, and that's what that episode was about. It makes you a better person. It makes you feel better. And you see the world a little bit differently. So I am very grateful that my friends and people I didn't even, that I don't even know that are in different groups helped me with that. When I first was, when I first started asking people what positivity was coming out of this, I, I wasn't planning on creating a podcast episode about it, but there were so many, I thought, wow, I have to, I have to now. <laughs> so it was, have you ever done anything that was just kind of for you and then it morphed into something bigger? Well, yeah, writing this book <laughs> was, was just for me. And, and it's become more than a book for me. It's become a message. It's become a message that growing older is a, a noble and courageous passage. And we need to stand in the light of the truth of that rather than to hold aging as something to be feared or disdained. That project, by the way, that you just talked about, you know, asking people what's positive about this. Um, what an amazing, what an amazing question to ask people. And as you were telling me that story, here's what I thought of. I went, wow, we can either find things to be grateful for. We can find things to be positive about. That doesn't mean we don't have to not cry or not feel sorrow, but we also have to balance that sorrow out with positive things, with gratitude. I thought, you know, the alternative to that is like panic porn. Right. Do you know? So the whole idea of of lifting one's heart and saying, there is something in this. This is bigger than just a disease that we're having trouble getting rid of. There is something we are being called to take a higher action that will make us all better people. That's an evolutionary moment. 
You're right. You know, you're right. And I'm so glad that you wrote that book to bring us to the two of us together. Yeah. How fun is that? Yeah. When you wrote that book, you had no idea that the coronavirus was going to be coming no. <laughs> or COVID-19, I guess. I don't know what we're calling it. <laughs> yeah, that thing. <laughs> right. The, the, the thing. Yes. It's, you know, what's interesting is the first time I saw a picture of the virus, I thought, wow, that's pretty. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, how such a pretty thing can be so deadly. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, I know that we're coming close to the end of our time together, but your book is full of, like you said in the beginning, you said it's not a how-to book, but your book is full of things, uh, sort of things to do, but doesn't explain how to do them. Mm-hmm. I, I did, before we say goodbye, you, you talked about finding your purpose mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering how did you find yours? Trial and error. There's there's usually that thing in your life that keeps circling back around. And we're so good at ignoring it. Sometimes I think that, you know, if my purpose was right in front of me, I, I would probably trip over it. <laughs> it's that close to us all the time. It's not really a, a big treasure hunt. And I think we just have to pay attention to those kinds of questions. It's like, who am I? Who do I want to be? What makes me happy? What do I have to give to the world? How can I be a better person? Those kinds of questions reveal to us what our purpose is. And sometimes I think our greatest purpose is something so small that becomes enormous in its delivery that we push it aside a little bit. What if my purpose was just to get people to think about being more grateful? Well, I wouldn't get famous off of that. It wouldn't like make me a household name. But what if because of what I had to say, three or four or five people became more grateful in the way they lived their life? What a great purpose. That is. That is. You know, that that, um, makes me think about something. My, there's a neighbor that lives in my neighborhood and we have about, there's 14,000 homes current, uh, people that live here currently, but they're in small neighborhoods and my neighborhood has about a hundred people and I don't know everybody in my neighborhood. There is this woman who made a bunch of homemade face masks and our neighborhood rep sent out an email that said, does anybody want one? Or I know actually she had done that. But before she did that, I saw my neighbor, my next door neighbor wearing one. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. A cloth face mask. I should get one of those. And um, I asked her about it. And she says, well, neighbor so-and-so brought it over to me. And I said, wow, that's that's so nice. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to have to get one, but I don't know how to sew. I don't have a sewing machine, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next day, neighbor so-and-so knocked on my door and said, here, I, I brought you two face masks. Now, I don't know her. <laughs> we may have met one time. I know her now. But at the time, I had never talked with her. I never had a conversation with her. And I thought, wow. What a great thing to do. And then there was an email that came around from our neighborhood rep that said, 
so-and-so has these face masks. If you want one, let her, let her know. And here's her email address. So I had emailed it. Now, by the way, I had sent her a thank you card through the mail after I received those those first two masks. And then my husband and I were thinking about it. And we're like, well, we should get some more so we can wash them in between using them. And so I responded to her email and I said, hey, I, I love the mask that you made. I would love to buy another set if they don't all get taken. And she sent her husband over, wouldn't take money, dropped off another set of masks. And then then uh, yesterday or the day before, I saw her walking her dog and I stopped her and we were talking and I said, how many of those masks have you made? And she said, I've made 82 of them so far and given them all away. And I said, you know, you could, you could start a business, you know, you could sell these on Etsy for probably $15 each. And she says, I don't want to do that. I just want to make them and give them away. And so for now, I think that's her purpose. And what a great purpose to just brighten people. I, I can't tell you how happy that made me that she did that. You know, I think there's this deep, untapped longing in us to want to give. And we kind of set up this culture so that we didn't really get in touch with that very much. You know, it's like it's all about me and what I can acquire and whatnot. But now that people are home and things have settled and are a little bit quieter, I think there are a lot of people getting in touch with that longing to say, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? And that that those questions are what nourish our heart and our soul. What an amazing woman. What a beautiful purpose and what a gorgeous story. <laughs> what a great way to end this episode. You know, I love talking with you. How you can too. how can people reach out to you if they want to buy your book or if they just want more information? Well, the book is available on IndieBound.com as well as Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Any of those places carry the book. So you can pre-order. The actual release date is the 28th, which is just a week away. <laughs> um, and you can find me at stephanieraffalock.com. I have contact information on my, that's my website. I've got contact information there, how to find me on Facebook and um, Instagram and, and whatnot. And I love hearing from people. And yeah, by all means, reach out. I answer all my emails. Great. And we'll have links to her website um, on the show notes for this episode as well. Thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.